Hello and welcome to the Christchurch Box Chapel podcast, the fastest growing conservative, evangelical, charismatic, arrogant podcast in the entire Fox Chapel area. And I'm joined today by the Reverend Ben Hughes. Greetings. And fresh from, well, fresh, <laughs> exhausted from paternity <laughs> leave. Fresh isn't quite the right word, but yes. <laughs> the Reverend yeah. Benjamin Wolpe. So um, do either of you two know what the collective noun, I discovered this this week, what the collective noun for gorillas is? Gorillae? That's what's going to be my guess too, gorillae. No, it's, it's a whoop. Of gorillas. Oh, a whoop. whoop. Yeah, and I was thinking of you. Because <laughs> you've got a, a wolf of children. Yes. I think you, have an, uh, you are. They certainly are similar to gorillas. <laughs> the <laughs> yeah. comparison is yeah. apt. <laughs> it works. <laughs> I just feel like, uh, well, you're, you really are kind of um, going from one, one nut house to another here. Um, I, I feel true. a great sense of relief knowing that Ben is back, that I can be even more ridiculous than I usually am. Because there's someone who will, will rein us in. The danger was that we would have starved or frozen to death in this attic because we would just simply have kept reading scripture. I was, I was yes. a little surprised that the podcasts I faithfully listened to over the last two weeks were not three hours long. Well, it's because the thing broke. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> that's right. It was uh, you had technical difficulties. Well, hopefully those will be abated this time. Yeah, yeah it's random. Let's, let's turn to scripture as... Good idea. Men of the gospel. Let's turn to scripture. Uh, who will read for us a amount of <laughs> the famous Old Testament I, prophet? I can because it's due to me that we don't know the amount of uh, our reading. This is Isaiah 49. Uh, we're listed in our bulletin as going through verse 13, 1 through 13. But I think I'm going to read verses 1 through 7 of Isaiah 49. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity, yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord and my God has become my strength. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers. Kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to, to God. God. That's great. Thank you. And this is about, um, again, the, the servant songs of Isaiah, looking at this prophetic, these four prophetic songs that, that look ahead to Jesus Christ years before he was born. And you know, Christ quotes these extensively of himself and certainly fulfills uh, these, these prophetic songs as well. What's this one all about? 
Great but, preacher. Says <laughs> <laughs> so the preacher who's not written the sermon yet. Uh, I. It's interesting to me that um, last week, Ben, you preached about the first servant song, Isaiah 42, and then this one is the second one. Um, and in this one, the servant is actually speaking, which I think mm. is a r- really interesting yeah, difference. Yeah, that is interesting, isn't it? In 40, chapter 42, it was God speaking about his servant mm. and what he was going to do through yeah. the servant. But here we have, in the first person, the, f- the servant speaking and declaring uh, who he is and what he's going to do and how God has called him. And there's mm-hmm. that that dynamic of the relationship he's got between him and God and what God is saying to him. Like God, God formed him and called him in the womb and has made him a sharp sword and a polished arrow and, uh, and gives him as a light to the nations. Um, so it's, it's a really interesting to me that just that we hear from the servant. I think this is the first time in Isaiah, the servant who plays such a Jesus pivotal speaks. role is who is Jesus. Yeah. Spoiler. This is Jesus. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we hear him speak Wait, for the what? first time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is great, isn't it? So um, you are my servant, Israel. There's that great Christological name that d- Jesus is Israel. He's the vine. He is uh, the embodiment. He's the offspring. He's the he's the the shoot of Jesse. He's all all of these images that often we look at in yeah. Advent. Yeah. Wait, can we um. I I think I touched on this, but I didn't quite get to the bottom of it. Um, he says, so the servant is called Israel, and yet Israel is sometimes on Isaiah called the servant. What's what's going on? Like, what's the deal with that? I feel yeah. like that's a help. Like, that's an important thing for me in my own mind to like clarify. Like, yeah. Okay, how do I know this is is Israel or like why is this servant called Israel? It's like. Yeah. Well, I think it's a representative. Like he's the he is the true Israel. Mm representing the whole nation what they were supposed to be and what they failed to be i was looking just in chapter 48 right before this is when god calls them out of exile in babylon and says uh come home and but within that is a rebuke of saying you've not lived up to your name basically Mm -hmm. Uh, and he and he references his own name yes uh, i'm the lord your god yeah which is a covenant promise name i'm reminding you you know you You've been unfaithful, but I, I am faithful. Yep. I, I like it, 48, chapter 48, verse 1, mm. uh, talking about Israel, uh, who came from the waters of Judah, who swear by the name of the Lord and confess the God of Israel, but not in truth or right. Uh, like, they're, they're not actually in truth, the true Israel. And here comes mm. God saying, you are my servant, Israel. You're the true Israel. And yeah. then, but then it says later, you're coming to to save Israel, so he's like he's the repre- true representative, but also somehow distinct from the nation. Yeah, I guess we find this with Christ that you know he's the fulfillment of the temple and the sacrificial system, but also the priest as well. So he's functioning on the cross as as a temple, a priest, and a sacrifice. <laughs> he's the yeah. means. Yeah. yeah, quite a lot of roles to fill. I guess you have to be God incarnate to yeah. to do all that. A little bit too much for humans. Yeah, but you sort of see all of these different lines heading and pointing towards Jesus. Yeah. He, you know, he's the fulfillment of each of these things. Mm-hmm. I think it, 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 like, points out just how amazingly, like, uh, intricate and complex God is and how, uh, uh, this is a weird word, but how multivalent uh, 
like Christ is and mm. his and all that he means. Like he's he's this and he's that and he's like uh you know, he's the he's the priest and he's the sacrifice and he's the king and he's the prophet and like yeah. all of it brought together in one. Like what an incredible human being. Like Top Cat. The gentleman, a sc- oh no, it's the Pink Panther. <laughs> gentleman, scholar, and acrobat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait, so Christ is like the Pink Panther of biblical figures? Yeah, I mean, I'm regretting the analogy That, now. <laughs> <laughs> <But> <laughs> that's that's is a regrettable I, analogy. That's why I had to draw <laughs> it out. He's all things. He's all of these things. He's a fulfillment of this whole thing. He's the fulfillment Cannot of all Cannot be contained no. under labels. Uh, yeah, and it's it's really striking to me that he's filling this role that Israel as a nation has failed to do. Mm. Um, like throughout Isaiah, there's a lot of prophetic rebukes of saying, you have uh, turned away, you've not done what you were called to do. And that's, that's part of the message of Isaiah is this exile they're in is, is a judgment for their, their failure and their idolatry. Um, and here he's saying Jesus fills in those gaps, and Jesus is the true Israel that that God has sent into the world to be a blessing to the nations, like he told Gen- uh, Abraham in Genesis 12. Yeah. Like the original covenant with Abraham was to be a blessing to the nations, and and Israel kind of turned in on itself and became insular and then turned away from God and forgot about their calling. I think one of the complexities we're going to face in this series, which is so well-timed for Easter, it really strikes the heart of what's so complex about atonement. Mm. And and so we see Jesus here uh, described as bringing glory to, to the Father. Um, Verse 3. I'm trying to find where it is. Verse three: You are my servant Israel, right. in whom I will be glorified. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah. so there's this glory, and yet when you get to verse seven, you get this despised and abhorred by yes. nation. And how complicated it is to have something that brings glory to God, and yet actually <coughs> takes on sin and takes on shame and is despised and rejected, and hated. Mm. I mean, that's really the essence of what's so complicated about the cross and this idea of being raised up and glorified. Does it mean? kind of elevated and thought of highly? Or does it mean lifted up on a cross and shamed? Yeah, or both. Yeah, <laughs> or both. Yeah, the, the I mean, throughout the Gospel of John, right, when Jesus talks about being, like, lifted up and exalted, mm-hmm. he's talking about his crucifixion. Which is like, a gl- thing that glorifies God. Yeah. And yet yeah. is deeply shameful. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think this is one of the reasons why Jesus coming was so surprising and why him as the Messiah figure was so doubtful and uh, so unbelievable to those of the day because God's salvation coming didn't look like anything anyone expected or hoped for because there's so many different aspects of like, even this uh, verse four, the servant Jesus is saying, I've labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing in vanity uh, but then the Lord honors him, and God has become his strength. In the next verse, like, how often did Jesus encounter rejection and frustration with like the misunderstandings and the lack of belief mm. for those around him uh, that he was preaching God's word to? Um, but even through failure and frustration, God accomplishes His purpose through Jesus. 
this is what I love about Christianity so much. It's it's one of the chief things that distinguishes Christianity from every other religion or even just <coughs> philosophical framework. It is that it somehow it's our weakness that displays God's power. Mm-hmm. And you know, I th- I think perhaps as as America becomes more post-Christian, or what even what even comes after post-post-Christian, mm-hmm. it's um, it, it's going to be interesting for people who might say, oh, "Well, the Christians are like this, dot dot dot, judgmental, righteous, self-righteous," and and actually, we're not publishing documents boasting about our ethics and boasting about our our skills and prowess and goodness. What we're saying is the opposite of that. We're saying, actually, we're broken and we're a mess and we've failed, but we have mm-hmm. a God who does the being brokenness for us mm. in order to exchange his glory with us, which in turn brings glory to him. Yeah, and we're not concerned as much about our brokenness because it's through our brokenness that God's dis- glory can be displayed. Yes. And that Second Corinthians 4, uh, like we have this treasure in clay jars, so that God's glory can be more clearly seen, that it's not about us, it's not about our goodness or our glory, mm. but it's about His working through us. Yeah, I think the gospel really, like, actually understanding the gospel encourages, encourages this profound, like, honesty that you would never really, uh, y- you can't really get it with any other, like, way of seeing the world. It, it encourages you to be so radically honest with, with others and with God and with yourself. Um, mm. Because it's almost sort of like assumed that you're gonna <laughs> that you're gonna mess up, that you're gonna have failure. Yeah, that's right. Hmm. It it's our it's our redeemedness that we're really celebrating, and and that makes no sense if you've arrived brilliant on day one. <laughs> yeah, and the fact that I'm celebrating something that I had no part in. Yeah, like the the biggest Ooh. shaper of my identity and the biggest cause of my joy is something that I had I can take no credit for but yeah. it was done on my behalf and it was done for me and to me that's hard to do actually and hard to to shape our lives around that because we like to be right. the ones in control and be the ones mm-hmm. getting credit but you know and it's funny because I mean we've only got one sermon and it's that one and we keep preaching it yeah and y- you know you could have you could have that sermon in in a word like in verse 7, just the, the capital R, Redeemer, title there of Christ, right? The Redeemer of Israel, Holy One. I mean, you can't redeem something that that's okay to start with. Mm. Something that's freely owned doesn't need to be redeemed. Yeah. It's something in debt, isn't it? Or in slavery that's redeemed. And I, I, I suspect that that's... That's something that we just have to keep saying, especially to our town. Yeah. Yeah, we almost become like a living sort of spectacle of redemption. Mm. Like when you're when you're a Christian, like you <laughs> you have this like I mean, everybody has kind of a ridiculous story on some level or another. Um and, and uh you you become this kind of like walking like um billboard of like well, we all know how bad that could get, <laughs> or that was, or that has gotten, but uh, but God, God has actually made it, uh, taken what was deeply compromised and made it into something beautiful. 
It's fun. It's it's great because we're not just parading brokenness. That's the other. That's the other alternative. Yeah. Well, and yeah. some people are tempted to do that. I think too. Yeah. I think that's a flip side of of this is that some people want to just say, "Oh, I'm broken, and you're broken, and that's okay." But missing out on the story of there's redemption for you, and there's mm-hmm. there's hope for us, and you're invited into that, uh, not just to be all gloomy and doomy all the time. I think that like there's a com- it, it there's a certain comedy to it actually that like when you realize how messed up you are and have been um and and the extent of great the grace that you have um you know how much your redeemer is and has done you start there's like this great like huge gap and then you just like I, I think it, you can't quite take yourself quite as seriously mm-hmm. um after after that happens i don't know if you guys have experienced that but i think i probably since becoming a Christian, I've taken myself a little less seriously than I than I used to. Not to say I don't take myself, you know, far too seriously, but like the more I understand the gospel, the more I'm able to kind of like relax. I want you to know, Ben, that I take you very seriously. Oh, thanks, I take you seriously <laughs> too. No one takes me seriously. And I think <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, <laughs> I brought this on myself, but it's uh, it's another one of those contrasts, isn't it? that in a sense what we're talking about is of the utmost seriousness. There's nothing more serious than the stuff we talk about. Yes. Mm-hmm. And and even the most serious things in this world are actually less serious than what we're talking about, even when we're joking. And yet, on the other hand, we're having fun. It's such a strange uh, kind of contrast. It's because it brings us freedom. Yes. And there's a freedom in knowing that it's not on me and the work has been done and it's finished and mm-hmm. I'm invited into victory and it's not by something I have done or need to do, but it's through Christ alone. Right. And that victory stuff I think is really important for anyone that's actually feeling trapped or worse, crushed by the thing that is you know, killing them. There's there, I think there's so many, whether it's an addiction or whether it's a, you know, a relationship or or some kind of you know workplace or something. If the, if you're in that place where you just can't see a way out, I think that's where a redeemer has some some genuinely practical mm. power in your life. You know, when I can think back to that early stage of of my career when I had a real career, and um, it was you know I felt trapped and it was a bit miserable and. Uh, you know, a bit depressed. But it was around then that, that I found an identity in Christ. I, I was saved in my early 20s. And uh, oh, to, to say my, my identity is no longer in my profession, but actually in Christ, was hugely liberating on a practical level and, and actually healing. Mm. And I don't know how it was precisely that the Holy Spirit healed me of depression, whether it was that just sort of power of the Spirit or whether it was just living out the reality of the gospel that, that worked its way through. But I, I actually think it probably was that. It was the fact that I suddenly realized Jesus loves me, and that was itself healing. Um, but that's such an important message for anyone that, you know, we talk about redemption, it sounds lovely. We talk about slavery, well, you know, that obviously very shameful part of the past of both of our countries. 
few of us this minute are in literal slavery. And yet many people do feel trapped in mm. work, relationship, depression, addiction. Those are forms, aren't they? Yeah. But you have to be delivered into something like a greater reality in order to actually be freed from those things. Well, I'm glad you said that. Yeah, delivered into something. Oh, yeah. I didn't yeah, yeah. Good, good turn of phrase there. Oh, thanks, man. I well, I think it's important, to too, because one. like you're you become a part of something bigger and you become part of something better and more glorious and more eternal. It's not just about you yourself, mm. but what you're delivered, like you said, into and invited into um, that God has something better for us than than what's weighing us down here on earth. Yeah, I think this is actually the one of the big reasons why I uh, why I think that like being a part of a congregation, being a part of a church is so important. Like from a even from a therapeutic standpoint, like yes. mm. uh, it's all the rage among like millennials to go to therapy. Like it's therapy's like become the new religion. I'm I think it's American, and I'm a huge fan of therapy. Don't get me wrong. Uh, been to therapy, recommend it to almost everybody. But uh, it's not. Unless there's, it, it sort of is like, is sitting in a room with someone and diving into my problems the ultimate uh, end that God has for me? Or is it a means uh, of discipleship toward another end? Yeah. Uh, which mm. is, and that the ultimate end is like worship, us worshiping God in community. And so God actually has something bigger for you, which is a participation with all kinds of other right. people in the kingdom. Um and so just having a good therapist, while that's great, it's really helpful, um, yeah. but it won't ultimately, like, it won't cut it. You have to be, like, a part of a congregation I of actual people. Yeah, I mean, I definitely like the idea of, of therapy, likewise medication, oh existing yeah. within a range of stuff that God wants to do for you. Yeah, totally. The body, pastoral ministry, mm -hmm. like couples counseling, could be all sorts of things, but I think when you, when you put in that worship experience of, being in a body of believers, reading scripture together, holding one another mutually accountable with pastoral oversight and love and care and the power of the Holy Spirit being at work in your heart as well, then you've got something. Oh, man, yeah. You know. Because God doesn't want you to just feel kind of self-actualized. He wants you to <laughs> be like a part of his mission. I've I realize now that I've digressed way so far from this text <laughs> well, and where no, we were I going. <laughs> but I just You're looking at me as if I was responsible for cutting you off. No, but so. I, well, no, no. Yeah, but, but I, I can So here it is, right? Cuz it, it's not. What you've done <laughs> is you've prophetically nudged us to the gospel reading oh and, yeah. and I can just show there you, you go. Uh, verse 46 of it. Yeah, uh, which is Jesus speaking. And and so Again. Again, yeah. Uh, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And there's that great thing, you, you, that being delivered into concept, mm. out of darkness into light. Into light. And, and that redemption story doesn't make a lot of sense it, and l until we have both of those components. From what into what? Yeah. Or into whom? Oh, no, that's a crescendo. That can't, we can't. No, you did it. You're the crescendo. <laughs> oh, we've got, um, I'm off. I'm off. <laughs> no, we've, got got what, we've ended up. That's terrible. <laughs> you know what this is like? When you have like a, perfect. A, a machine with three well-oiled cogs, and then you take one of the cogs out for a while, yeah. and then you can't just jam it back in and expect it to run exactly the same way. Now everything, we've our whole dynamic is messed up. Mr. Green told me that, that I have to call it a spur gear. A spur gear? Yeah, apparently. 
And then we said, Mr. Good, what is sir? What is a spur gear? And he said, it's a cog. So I don't know. It's one of those terminology things. Oh, people get very, very adamant about their terminology. Maybe our dynamic is not as off as I had thought. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this this like sounds perfectly in line with everything we've done before. What's the opposite yeah. of a crescendo? Just like a sort of <laughs> <laughs> this is how the world ends, not with a bang, but <laughs> with a whimper, <laughs> to quote T.S. Eliot. <laughs> right. Well, I, I, this is what a deadly way to end a podcast. This, thi- I'm, this, has, been, this has been a podcast of uh, Fox Chapel Presbyterian Church. We're so, gla- <laughs> <laughs> we're so glad that you were here. Um, <laughs> Can't even get the music on. Oh, those Presbyterians. What miserable folks. Thanks for joining us. We really appreciate you being with us. God bless, and we'll see you very soon.